everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through the best resource available to them, and that is the prestige drama, The Crown. My name is Sam Chung, and today we'll be discussing the events that transpired in the season one finale entitled Gloriana. So much happened, and yet so much remains unresolved. Helping me to dive into the episode, as always, are my two co-hosts. First, a guy who will leave any room forever, but only if you pay him enough money. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, what is the going rate for leaving a room in today's currency? Oh, boy. Uh, well, well, what was it in 1955? Well, didn't they pay David 10,000 pounds a year and he would never come back? Okay. Yeah, so let's say, I don't know. 200k i don't know i'm spitballing here but i'll, I'll take that money and i'll be laughing all the way to the bank You're t- just ten thousand dollars a month and ivan will never step foot in a room again depending on the room yeah sure i mean m- m- most rooms i'm not attached and also back with us today a woman who leaves a pile of rocks everywhere she goes it's carlin greenwald carlin do you have a map of all the rock piles you've left around the globe i feel like that both like illustrates how little places i've been but like maybe it actually shows how many and then how many rocks are on all these piles. I don't know. You've, you've stumped me. This is horrible. <laughs> I, I mean, just to cut to this scene real quick, and I, I feel like we'll touch upon it more, but they were like, oh, it's so cute. They left a rock here every time they met. And I was like, oh, it's fine. There'll just be a few rocks. That's cute. And then they pan over and there's like a three foot tall pile of rocks. It's like, how many times have you come to this place? So many times, like you think they could have gone to one other place. (laughs) I think they only went there. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, Before we get too deep into the episode, though, as always, right off the bat, we just want to say that if you came here because you're curious about whether or not the events that transpired in this episode are or whether they actually happened or, you know, if if everything that happened is factually accurate. We don't really know, and we're not really aiming to find out. We're just going to assume that everything that happened in The Crown is real and go from there. And with that, uh, I'm going to pass it over to Ivan, because Ivan, I believe you have a recap of this finale for us. Uh, Yes, I do. Um, So this is the season finale of uh, the inaugural season of The Crown. And if you have come looking for an episode where you get a thrilling and cathartic resolution to all of the season's storylines, you have come to the wrong place. Because in this episode, we kind of get just prolonged frustration um, around some of the motions that are already in play. Uh, you know, the A-plot of this episode definitely focuses in on Margaret and uh, her relationship to Peter Townsend. So it has now been uh, two years that it, Margaret has turned 25, and she is now ready for Peter Townsend to return to the UK and be able to proceed with marrying him. Uh, And he does. He makes his return, except, oh, no, Elizabeth discovers that there is, in fact, another hurdle. And now that Margaret is 25, she can pursue marrying Peter Townsend without uh, the Queen's blessing. But apparently now Parliament has to weigh in and approve it, which is not something that was made clear to Elizabeth two years ago and she is pissed she's been duped we find out that this whole scheme orchestrated by Tommy and the Queen Mother to be like yeah you know Margaret can marry she and Peter have to just spend two years apart turns out 
they were banking on the couple just losing interest in the marriage and going their separate ways. But they didn't. They persisted. They still want to proceed. And now we have set ourselves up for conflict. So, you know, Elizabeth is trying to, you know, figure out a way to make this work because in the beginning of the episode, we are actually uh, greeted with a uh, flashback to the time of the abdication back in 36, where uh, Bertie makes uh, Elizabeth and Margaret, uh, a, a young Elizabeth and Margaret, promise to each other that they will always put, you know, their sisterhood and their family above all the other bullshit, which they agreed to. Flash forward to, you know, present day, where whenever we are now, I, I want to say 1955, so somewhere in the mid 50s. And, you know, this is now going down and Elizabeth is conflicted between her obligation to make her sister uh, happy and stay loyal to her uh, and her obligation to the crown, um, where, you know, as the monarch, you know, she she is supposed to not let this uh, marriage go through. Um, so, you know, a lot of, lot of back and forth here, a lot of deliberation. Uh, in the end, Elizabeth ultimately does not um, condone the marriage and is not able to rally the new uh, prime minister, more on him in a moment, to, uh, uh, you know, get parliament to approve the marriage. So essentially putting an end to the relationship between Margaret and Peter. Uh, Peter goes back to Brussels, defeated and heartbroken. Margaret, now even more devastated and upset at Elizabeth than ever. Um, it is a very, very bleak conclusion to this storyline. Perhaps not the ultimate conclusion. Perhaps there'll be more to it, but very, um, very disappointing for the characters and the viewers alike. Um, other things going on this in this episode, I just mentioned, uh, you know, the new prime minister. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, Anthony Eden. Yes. Yes. Anthony Eden. Uh, gosh, it's been a whole season and I'm never going to remember that guy's name. Um, Anthony Eden's dealing with his own um, uh, worries. Uh, you know, he keeps upsetting and offending the uh, Egyptian president Nasser over just a whole bunch of bullshit. Um, and. You know, he's also still dealing with his own health problems, and we kind of get a glimpse into that world. I don't know if they're setting stuff up for, you know, season two, but th that was kind of a, a weird and somewhat unnecessary subplot. And then finally, uh, Prince Philip has been appointed to open the Summer Olympics in Melbourne, which uh, eventually is an assignment that gets extended out to a straight up multi month tour. Um, he is, uh, you know, a little upset that he has to be away from um, his children and the family family and London for a long time, but uh, everybody else thinks it could be good for him. It'll give him a little bit of space and a little bit of opportunity to have the uh, the spotlight, uh, uh, you know, kind of shined upon him and only him. Um, but he sees it as a way of them just kind of getting rid of him for a while. Um, and he sort of just drives off into the distance at the end of the episode. So when all is said and done, um, no one really gets what they want. No one's happy. The Crown, Season 1, Episode 10. <laughs> Thank you, Ivan. So I want to start off, I guess, with the main plot point of the episode, and that is Queen Elizabeth having to basically go back on her word to Margaret that she is going to allow her and Peter to be married. And I think that I want to just say right off the bat, I don't buy it. Like, we're supposed to believe that Queen Elizabeth is like an expert in the Constitution, and yet she couldn't read the fine print on the Royal Marriages Act of 1770-something. 
I just, I don't buy it. Like, how is that possible? Well, we're also supposed to believe that this queen has power. And here we are 10 episodes in and I have not seen her exercise any power. It's she's just been following guidelines and and having people tell her, hey, these are the guidelines. Like, what is the point of this job? I don't know. And I lost my thought. No, no. Yeah, no. I just okay. You know what? Yeah. Just the idea that like, it really feels like you were kind of like, okay, Elizabeth's really bad at making decisions. Like, fine, I guess. But it really felt like they were trying to like, cause harm in her life. Like, okay, let's just ruin your relationship with your sister who's like kind of part of this brand too. Like, I don't from any sort of PR perspective for them. Like, I don't understand why they're so adamant about these old rules if it clearly has such negative immediate repercussions on, like, the royal family as, like, a unit, which they need to all work in order for, like, the machine to work and, like, keep the crown going. Plus, like, I don't know, clearly the public was in favor of this marriage. Like, I just, I do not understand where Tommy and Queen Mother are coming from. I'm so confused. Yeah, I was surprised, but also not at all surprised to see that Tommy Lassels is behind all of this. I thought that we were done with him. And yet here he is in retirement, just like sitting in an armchair, still plotting against the royal family, or at least the younger generation of the royal family. I mean, like your time is up, bro. It's time for you to just stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been so back and forth on Tommy this whole season. At first, I thought like, oh, he's just this, you know, just stuffy bureaucrat. And then I thought, you know what? No, he, he's the guy that, that knows what time it is. And then it's like, oh, no, he's the guy that keeps upholding some tired traditions. And now I found find out that he's just a straight up traitor. Like he he just like stabbed this family in the back with with this scheme that he orchestrated and and uh, it's kind of unclear like was it was it him was it the private secretaries was it him and the private secretaries and the queen mother like we do not know what like who was consciously involved in trying to sneakily suggest this two-year separation uh under the hope that elizabeth wouldn't uh, notice that like oh yeah, actually, it needs to be longer than that. Why did you tell me it was only two years? But Tommy is definitely somewhere in the center of it all. And I just hope to never see him nor his stupid mustache ever again. <laughs> oh. Carlin, I'm curious if uh, now that we're through one full season of The Crown, has your opinion on Peter changed at all? Or do you still find him to be boring? I still find him to be boring i think he's like gained one iota of passion and it was from that scene where they like panned over to a photo of margaret that he keeps on his bedside because i'm truly up until that moment he just is so stoic that i i you could have told me either way that he like didn't actually love margaret or he did and i would have really believed you either way i mean like i feel bad in general for the guy like he did stay at that really boring job because he thought he would get to marry margaret but also he's like 50 years old and she's 25. I just, I don't, I don't vibe with that. That shot uh, of him at the very end when he's back in Brussels and inside his small studio apartment, um, like when it kind of pans over to the nightstand and you see that photo of Margaret, like did either of you expect him just like take that photo and turn it around or like get rid of it? Cause <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't tell what was going on there, whether it was him I mean, he he looked pretty upset. Like, you know, I, I noticed that, but I, I, I couldn't 
get a good read on that scene. I don't know if it was him, you know, kind of plopping down on the bed, defeated and ready to move on, or just kind of looking longingly at that photo and, and yearning for another path forward. Yeah, I definitely expected him to turn the photo around. But I think more than that, I was just confused about like how the photo got there in the first place because they didn't really show him like unpacking. So did he leave the photo there and then just anticipate coming back at some point to stare at that photo? (laughs) Oh, that's a good point because, yeah, presumably... Presumably he was leaving Brussels and coming back to London with the expectation that he would stay there. But yeah, I guess he still had his job waiting for him. I Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, maybe he was supposed to come to London, propose to Margaret, make it official, and then go back to Brussels and tie up loose ends. But yeah, good call out. Yeah, I'm not sure. More than that, like, I feel like a couple of the scenes with Peter were a little bit weird. Like that scene where he's like, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. And they just cut to him in bed and Margaret's coming up to visit him. Like, was that just to show that he's an old man? I'm just, I don't know. I either that or that, um, the, you know, the pressure of the press has gotten to him. He's just also, also he was at a party where like everyone was half his age. So he's like, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I, I don't have the energy to keep up with these people. I'm I'm tired. I'm going to hit the hay. Yeah. I truly on a logistical level, I don't understand how they would have gone to events together. if They had gotten married because clearly Margaret, she, she loves a good party. And then what was, is Peter going to leave every event early? She never thought about that. So like when, uh, when Margaret went up to Peter's room, um, and you know suggestively close the door like was that meant to imply that like they're not really supposed to be together or be seen together because the way that she you know did so it was like so sneakily and so like ooh hoo hoo look at what we're doing but like i mean yeah I'm, i'm just confused about that like is it appropriate for them to even be staying in the same house like i would just think that like with all the trouble that the crown went through to keep these two apart up until the point where it was okay for them to get engaged and move forward with that. It seems like this is like a big opportunity for, I don't know, like just be, just be seen in living in sin. I guess that's why the press was there, right? Like you had all those like paparazzi, like waiting to get a, a shot of them as they were kind of driving up to that house where they were staying. But yeah, I mean, you would think that like the crown uh, would be really pissed about them even spending any time together before they got this whole like marriage and, and engagement situation sorted out first. Yeah, probably. Did either of you? Okay, so Basically, they go into explaining this rule further and all of the kind of like fine print at the bottom that Queen Elizabeth didn't read before. And then they start talking about divorce. And basically, the conclusion that they have as to why Peter and, and Margaret cannot marry is that Peter is a divorcee and his ex-wife is still alive. Were either of you like, Peter's going to go kill his ex-wife? Like, <laughs> that's clearly what's going to happen now. I've been I've been thinking that this whole season it's like for as long as like the you know divorced spouse is still alive I'm like okay so just just pop her like if that's the solution <laughs> here like like it just seemed like it would be very easy for the crown to orchestrate a stealthy assassination and make that problem go away, you know, obviously make it look like an accident but like <laughs> I mean you would think that like they would they would save themselves a lot of headaches by just getting rid of that ex-wife and, 
you know, not having to deal with all the scandal and controversy of Margaret, uh, you know, marrying someone who is ineligible in the eyes of the church. Man, I know we're not at this season yet, but I have a lot of questions about Diana. <laughs> we'll just wait. But yeah, that's a that's a genuine thing they probably could have done. And like Margaret seems like the kind of person who like she would have asked for it. And like Elizabeth would have been like, oh, dear. But like, you know, she would have like had a little bit of convincing time and then it would have happened because that's easier than having Margaret be mad at her. <laughs> Give Philip something to do. Just just make that Philip's job. Oh, my God, Philip. Oh, Philip. So much to say about Philip in this episode. Let's start with a scene that, Ivan, you did not mention in your recap, and that is Philip going fishing with his son. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't I, I didn't mention it, but it, it was definitely very top of mind while I uh, was discussing the fact that he was upset about being away from his children for several months. It's like, oh, that's what you are upset about being away from? Like, verbally abusing your son about his like squeamishness <laughs> around wriggling worms. I mean, Jesus, like, like the fact that he's trying to convince Elizabeth that he's getting any joy around spending time with Charles. Like, I don't buy it. It's so sad. Like you can just imagine that Charles gets bullied at school for like, you know, in the way where you get like pushed down in the mud or like something like that. And then the kid goes on a vacation with his parents and then his father just like does basically the same thing. Well, here's the thing. He has this line where I feel like I've seen this play out so many times. It's a little bit of a cliche, but he's like, our son is a girl and our daughter oh. is a boy. But then, Boo. like, it's not like he's spending time with Anne. Like, where's Anne and all? <laughs> like, normally when you see that story, right, the dad is, like, spending time with the daughter. But where is Anne ever? I don't know. And, you know, they let Anne run off in the woods, I guess. Will you ever get a storyline, Anne? Unknown. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question. Um, and and we, we can stay. We can come back to Philip if we need to. But what is Anthony Eden shooting up into his arm? Oh, I, don't I had know. the same question. I have no idea. And is he dead at the end? Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm just so confused why the the now prime minister of England, who is suffering from you know some kind of health defects, isn't having a doctor administer these treatments. Because it, it, I mean, if he is trying to hide this illness, like you would think that he can still employ some medical professionals to help him deal with whatever he's going through while being discreet about it. But instead, he's like, no, I, in the privacy of my own home theater projector room, I'm just <laughs> going to start shooting up. Like, what it, was that? I don't know, because like even the mob can get doctors for themselves. Like, what's Anthony's problem? Yeah, I mean, it made me think, like, we've seen him do this before, right? That scene, I feel like they're on the plane going to is that when right. they're going to see eisenhower had, yeah yeah right but he had somebody administer the medication you know uh, for him then this is just him like in a dark room by himself like overdosing on whatever he's taking it was very strange i don't know what it was it was very concerning i don't know he he made a lot of uh questionable statements about winston churchill and his uh decrepitness um, but you know, he's one to talk really, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the man is falling apart. Like he's been prime minister for, for what, a couple months and he, he's already ODing. Like what, <laughs> who does that? 
I don't, the timeline oh, is so God. off. I'm so thrown off because I feel like just two episodes ago, Margaret was 23. I wish they would put the years like in front of every episode because they're just like, oh, here's the year for the flashback. And I'm like, what is yeah, it now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. They are just like frustratingly selective about when they're going to make it clear what year it is and when they're not. It's like so we, we get the title cards whenever there's flashbacks and such, but certain episodes, even when it's set in present day, will say, you know, London, 1954, and then others won't. And for, for all I know, it's already the 80s. It's very confusing. And like, I don't understand how they're like narratively cutting time. Because if it's not like 1959 and like the next season's set in the 60s, like why, why'd they cut it off now? How are they, how are they arranging these episodes and seasons? Yeah. The other thing that we learned about Anthony Eden is that he himself is a divorcee. And I just loved his face when Liz was just like rubbing it in. <laughs> that was great. That I mean, that that might be the redeeming moment of the episode when when Liz is just like, "Hey, you 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 hypocrite assholes! Like, you know, <laughs> you're a bunch of like, you know, stodgy old white men, and you're over here telling my sister she can't marry a divorcee when like, you know, half of you couldn't you know hold a relationship together for for more than a few years. Get out of here. That was great. Love that scene. Mm hmm. Yeah. I just I feel really bad for them. <laughs> like. I mean, mostly Margaret, but like a little bit Elizabeth too. Like, man, they didn't get that done for like the worst reason. And it's just these men who are probably on like their third wife, like not yeah. even one divorce. I'm sure they've all been through so many. It's just so frustrating. And it comes to a head, I think, in this episode. It's just so frustrating how all of these old men make all the rules. Like Liz is literally watching as like these four geriatric bishops like walk into the into the castle in like slow motion, but it's actually not slowed yeah. down at all. That's just their regular speed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good it's a good thing things have changed so much. Yeah. Uh, okay, but like also like that that whole thing with the archbishops, like, okay, I get it that the, this is like the council of senior members of the church and they're going to advise and they're going to say, uh, you know, what goes and what doesn't go. But as I understand it, Elizabeth is their boss. They report into her. And I, how does she not get final say? I don't understand. Like, this isn't, this isn't Italy. Like, why? Why is she listening to these men? Yeah, and like clearly a, a royal person came up with the Royal Marriages Act of 1770, whatever. So, yeah, wasn't it like George III? Like, yeah, so similarly, craziest what? Oh my God. Yeah, so similarly, a person of the same stature could just undo that, right? I just don't understand why she's so reluctant to, to do these things. I don't know. And I wish they'd actually explained it because it feels like there's some either deep characteristic of Elizabeth that we're missing or it's actually way more complicated. And it's not helping the storyline because I because, yeah, you just sit here and you're like, Elizabeth, just just change it. Does does Elizabeth just have like just straight up self-confidence issues? Because like my interpretation is that she has final say in all of these things and she has the authority to overrule anybody who's trying to whisper anything in her ear. but. In the end, she just continues to succumb to pressure. And and all season long, we have seen Elizabeth make decisions based on who the most recent person she has spoken to was. And, and that continued to be the case here. Even to the point where like she had to get like David's advice. And like I was sitting here, I, like you're sitting there listening to her, like talk to David. And you're like, 
I don't know if David's the one to give you good advice. Like, he seems kind of vindictive. Well, can I just say one thing about David, though? Like, the scene where it's like a masquerade <laughs> ball party at his house, and he is just stepping away from that to answer the phone. That was peak David. I it loved really that. It was great. That was a good scene. And it was also interesting to hear that, like, all of Paris also supports Margaret and Peter. Like, literally everybody supports uh, Margaret and Peter, except for Tommy Lassels. Yeah, like, I, if they had probably done, like, a one of those, you know, little montages where they show all the different countries and, like, their news, I can't imagine, like, any country, even in that time, would have cared. I also love that uh, David takes that opportunity to... Uh, uh, suggest that uh, the rest of France outside of Paris doesn't matter. <laughs> like here he is exiled from his own homeland and, and living a beautiful new life in an adopted country. And he's just like, yeah, only Paris matters. The rest of this place is garbage. Man, it, like, is the truth not that the rest of France is superior to Paris? Who knows? Let's, let's talk about the scene we get at the beginning. This is something the crown really loves to do is show us a moment that happened when Queen Elizabeth was a child and how that scene is playing out in her present day, well, not present day, but I guess like 1950s life. And this time mm -hmm. it's the abdication and then Bertie making these sisters swear that they will never turn their back on each other. This two episodes after... Margaret was basically threatening Queen Elizabeth and telling her that <laughs> she was really going to make her pay. It just feels like this probably was not the right scene for this moment. It would have been more effective in that episode. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, I mean, Margaret, it, it was probably keeping that oath top of mind when she was lashing out at Elizabeth. And we as the viewers didn't fully appreciate how how sacred that that oath and commitment they made to each other was because we hadn't seen it yet and yeah i agree i think that flashback might have actually been way more effective then but oh i mean it was a great scene though i will say like just it, it really kind of brought the whole season together you see birdie again you see the abdication you see david you see the sisters it, it was really kind of that flashback was kind of served as a confluence of all the storylines of the season in, in in some way um but yeah, I agree. I think in isolation, way more effective in one of the earlier episodes. I mean, like, th th that's kind of the problem, like, uh, that or my issue with this finale is that, you know, this storyline with Peter and Margaret has been, you know, very... At first, we got very little of it in the first half of the season. And then we've been getting a lot of it here in this back half. Uh, I mean, I think, like, what episode six episode eight and now episode 10 have all been you know progressing the storyline but this development just feels so anticlimactic now that you know they they wait two years they're they're separated and now they're reunited but oh wait actually it's a no-go again i mean like i get that this is what happened in history sure <laughs> but like not not does not make for compelling television not not super satisfying yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like the same beat twice. Like, again, like you said, I guess this is what really happened. It probably felt that way. But yeah, it was definitely just like, oh, Elizabeth says she's going to do a thing. She tries. She gets convinced not to. Margaret is sad. Yeah. I mean, like the, the crown season one can be like summed up in a nutshell with like Elizabeth saying, yeah, I I'll look into it. I'll I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And then we all know how that plays out. 
Mm-hmm. I felt like this episode was actually summed up by, surprisingly, Philip, who says this. Don't just betray up as a favor. Mm, yeah, good line. It was very apropos. And I, I was like, you know what? That basically describes a lot of what Elizabeth does because she makes promises that she can't keep and then she doesn't want people to hold her accountable for that. You know, I, I hate to say it, but in a way, Philip is kind of a surrogate for us in this episode because he's <laughs> the one that is, you know, kind of saying this is bullshit. Like, you know, these two should be together. Like, what are you doing? What, where are your priorities? And her response is to send him away, which is probably what would happen if any one of us had an audience with the queen and just criticized her actions. She'd be like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool story. But yeah, like you're out of here. Bye. I just like the idea that they did that, like out of genuinely thinking that it would make Philip feel better. <laughs> like this man is sulking when he's here and he's sulking when he's gone. I don't really know what they should do with him. They're right. That was a lie. There was no way that they actually believed that. Like, <laughs> you'll feel like you will feel better come on but like i don't understand did they really think that he was just gonna like were they banking on him just deciding that he wanted to stay in australia like i want to know what their marriage counseling like plan was i want to understand where philip would like to physically be i mean obviously they had this happy life in malta um he seemed to like that but then yeah, I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe the answer is Malta because he does not like uh, Buckingham Palace. Um, we thought he liked Clarence House, but then we found out that it was a burden <laughs> to re- renovate it. And he doesn't like to travel the world. So, like, is it really just Malta? Is that the only place he can stand? I guess. Yeah, I mean, last time they went to Australia, this happened. So I can't imagine that that's a place he would want to return to. Yeah, it's definitely not Australia. (laughs) Just time to go on their Canadian tour. Let's go. Honestly, that's really it. Not a lot happened in this episode. It was kind of straightforward. Do do either of you really have any other plot points that you think we need to address here? Uh, The only other thing was uh, the very brief uh, subplot with uh, Anthony Eden and the the Egyptian president uh, with with, with oh, Nasser. That was like, that was just such weird politics at play. Because so essentially, what happened? Because I don't think I touched on this element in the recap or to to uh, uh, with too much detail. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, Anthony Eden is visiting um, Egypt and visiting. Uh, I guess he's not at the residence of President Nasser. Instead, they're hosting like a dinner party and, and invite Nasser and his people. Uh, but apparently Nasser is not given the the memo that it's formal attire. So, you know, he feels like a fool because he's wearing uh, his uh, military outfit. Okay, so yeah, apparently he wants an apology. Uh, Anthony Eden is prepared to uh, give him one. But then I guess the other encounter is that anthony is uh speaking to uh to nasser in english and nasser is not fluent um even though like anthony uh, is fluent in arabic and has uh demonstrated that proficiency basically like i I mean like this is like the one of the few instances where i'm like yeah i don't think you know anthony's really doing anything wrong here this uh nasser guy just seems very easily offended i mean colonialism obviously (laughs) is the larger sort of wrong 
Um, <laughs> oh, sure. Like, yeah, no, no doubt. But just in terms of like Anthony Eden's like mannerisms toward Nasser, like he, he was very jovial, very friendly. Uh, you know, he initially had spoken to him in Arabic, which I thought, you know, like obviously, you know, Anthony Eden probably learned Arabic for, for military purposes, not just out of, you know, cultural curiosity, but yeah, I mean, I thought like, okay, yeah, no, Anthony's putting up a pretty good effort here, but he just can't seem to do anything right. I think it's just Anthony Eden has a very like punchable face and I don't, maybe it's just like <laughs> I, I can see that. the mustache and like the smiling with the mustache. <laughs> it's just like, I feel like Nasser <laughs> looked at him and was like, you just shut up. You, you know what would be great is uh, is if you got you did like a quick flashback to that moment earlier in the season when Anthony Eden was described as like a young energetic man, and then just cut to him overdosed on that table. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the overdose on the table, sleeping and bleeding through his shirt. Like he's just had so many A plus moments. Just vitality. Yeah. Like the man is falling apart and he just won't let anyone know. He won't reach out for help. Oh. I mean, I, I feel bad for him, but also I don't because he's the prime minister and he has all of the resources of the world at his disposal. And yet he instead of again, instead of hiring a medical professional to help him out, he's just like, no, I'm just going to keep injecting. But yeah, no, the stuff with Nasser like that, that was weird and it didn't really go anywhere. I don't feel like we got like any kind of real resolution to that subplot other than, you know, him watching, you know, a film reel and then ODing. But yeah, I'm guessing we'll probably see more of Anthony Eden next season. But if we don't, that's OK. <laughs> This is for us knowing nothing about world politics, world history, or English history is really helping us. Well, I know the, <laughs> Suez, I mean, the Suez Canal thing is going to happen soon, right? That happened in the 50s. Uh, yeah. Well, I think this, this was kind of the start of it. Yeah. So I, that's got to be yeah. where this is going in some capacity. How exactly it gets there, I'm a little hazy on. It's been a while since I took a history class. <laughs> But you know what? That's why we're watching The Crown. Learn some history. Yeah, learn some history. <laughs> this is a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, but that that's that's kind of it. Uh, I mean, like it, it obviously it was an important episode because you know a couple things came to a head, even though it in in somewhat redundant ways. But yeah, you know, pretty straightforward. Like a lot happened, but also not a lot happened in this finale. Yeah. Yeah. Although Margaret, please get a therapist. <laughs> please here let's right now let's do our kinky crown award our final kinky crown award of season one and then after we do the kinky crown award then we can sort of take a step back and look at the season as a whole so uh ivan let's start with you did you have any kinky crown moments that you noticed in the finale i actually did oh my I'm god i'm about to become as sick and, i'm about to become as sick and twisted as you two just just <laughs> just you wait maybe not but but uh okay so my nomination for the uh the kinky crown award um and, and i'm kind of like i'm following your cue here and just insinuating something rather than you know seeing visual evidence of it occurring um but I'm going to say that at that, you know, party scene where um, Peter goes to bed early and then uh, Margaret uh, goes up uh, to his room, opens the door, sees him with the lights on, um, laying in bed. Yeah, he, he was up to something before she arrived. You think he was up to something before she arrived? 
Oh man. Yes, because the 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 way that the way he was looking at her, it almost like seemed like he had just like scrambled to like you know compose himself and like <laughs> put himself in this awkward position that like no like the way he was laying in that bed just looked completely <laughs> off. Like yeah, no, he he was guilty and he was trying to play it cool when she opened that door. It's really unfortunate because with his age, like. She would have just gotten nothing that night. It's fine. I wasn't sure where you were going because I thought you were just going to go for the obvious. Like, you know, Margaret and Peter had a kinky moment then, but you oh, have no, taken no, no. it in that, a different I, direction. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Have, I, like, I, I, didn't go, I didn't go for, like, the overt thing that happened. <laughs> I, I, I went for, like, I, I, th- I think something happened off screen there that we didn't see. And I have to wonder whether Peter was even able to perform then at that point. Oh geez! You're right, <laughs> like old man, old man. Was was that all that you had? Just the that conjecture? Okay, Sam. It took me like an entire season to get into this kind of <laughs> mindset to start noticing these things. Yes, that is all I have for this episode. Carry on. Uh, all right, Carlin. What do you what do you, what have you got? Um, I have got uh, fuck rock tower. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> Like, excuse me, every time they met. We all know what they did when they met. No, that's a three-foot-tall rock just signifying every time that they've had sex in that spot. (laughs) There were so many rocks, and, you know, I guess Peter could once perform. If not, after that party, only they weren't in the Highlands, but wherever they were in the forest, that's the only place. All right. I have the obvious, you know, Peter returns home, uh, home being England, and... Just makes a beeline straight for Margaret's house. Just first place he goes. (laughs) I have Queen Mother Elizabeth. She's continuing to have lunches with Tommy. They continue to go out to lunch and discuss things. Ivan, you're making a face like that's not what's happening. Yeah, podcasting is a very visual medium. So yes, I I am making a face right now. Like they're having lunch. Okay, I get it. I, I get where your mind's going, but they're having lunch come on there's there's not much to draw from there ivan who's your favorite crack ship couple is it tommy and queen mother or is it winston and anthony (laughs) definitely winston and anthony but like here like okay here's the thing like the queen mother and anthony eden are both just gossipy little bitches and they are retired and have nothing to do of course they're having lunch like what else do they have to fill their calendars with? Yes, all right. Yes, I need you there, Anthony. I think we're all agreed. I need you. <laughs> that will never not be funny. And then the last one I had was um that moment when Margaret is like fixing Philip's tie and they're both like, I hate Elizabeth so much. Wait, no, I have another one. The dancing between Queen Mother and Philip. <laughs> Oh yeah, that really hateful dancing at like that party. We didn't even talk about that scene, but like that moment was basically the Queen Mother being like, "Yeah, you're on thin ice, Mister. You better get in line." <laughs> you know what? I'm proud of you, Ivan. I'm going to vote for Margaret and Peter. Peter doing something suspicious, Hell and Margaret yeah. catching him in the act. And then it becoming something even Fantastic. more. Fantastic. <laughs> so are we done? Is that is that two 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 votes already? Yeah, I don't think I can win. What were you going to vote for? Whatever I was going to pick. Um, you were going to vote for the rocks, weren't you? <laughs> I was either going to vote for the rocks or the um, Philip and Queen Mother scene because I, I still think the amount of palpable <laughs> tension in that scene was hilarious. 
No, I, I've got to give you, it to you, Ivan you, on this one. You've come through yeah. season one, episode 10. I dig it. I got there I dig in it. The that end. Was, it was creative. <laughs> it was a good, good meld, mind melding. <laughs> I managed to deliver in a way that Peter probably didn't. <laughs> uh, old uh, man. <laughs> all right. So now let's take a step back from the finale and look at season one as a whole. And I think the first thing that I want to talk about is... Do we have more respect for Queen Elizabeth or less respect for Queen Elizabeth now that we've seen her 10 episodes? I guess not 10 episodes. It's more like, what is it, four episodes? No, six episodes <laughs> into her reign. But, you know, something like that. now that we've seen sort of her day in, day out for a couple episodes, do we have more respect for her or less respect for her? You know, it, it, it's really, really hard because I... I I don't I I feel like her arc throughout this season has just been this slow realization of how powerless she is, um, which you know to to some degree you have to sympathize with her, but yeah I mean there's no there's no hero's journey here like it, it's it's a very unusual character arc to see play out where you know episode after episode she comes uh, uh, against the circumstance that she thinks she can influence and exercise power around only to find out that she can't uh not not because she literally virtually can't but because there are people telling her she can't and just having to kind of succumb to that sense of helplessness so you know in terms of where she was you know episode 3 and then to episode 10 I, I i don't know if she has grown or regressed i think she has just resigned to the job which i guess is kind of the idea right like she loses herself and you know the the woman she was prior to her uh, ascension disappears and the monarch takes over so yeah i mean i i don't know yeah i i mean it, it's it's like you can't even necessarily be mad at her because she we're kind of watching her lose her humanity in front of our eyes and and it, that's tragic in, in a sense but you know it, it's also I, I don't know it, it's also then coupled with just frustration of seeing what this institution is and what it does to people and yeah yeah I, yeah i guess i feel for her she's caught in the middle and there's nothing she can do about it because this is what this is now what she's been born into. I think when I watch it, it's interesting, right? Because it's this paradox of she's really just kind of a cog in a machine. And it's almost like anybody could be that person who could be that cog in that machine and the machine would continue mm -hmm. to run. But at the same time, clearly it can't be just anybody in that machine because then you get people like David people with too much quote-unquote character, people who try to use this power to, you know, just better themselves personally or bend the rules to whatever they want to. So it's like you can either have, you have this choice of you can either sort of lose yourself and just become part of the machine and keep it going. And in that way, I think we as the viewers lose a little bit of respect for you because it seems like you're not, you don't have any agency or you can have more agency and we'll, we might have more respect for you, but the whole thing will fall apart. So it's definitely a, a conundrum. Word. Mm -hmm. This episode obviously had, I think, Queen Elizabeth kind of, if not at the center, at least close to the center of every episode. But I'm curious, was, was there one character that we saw in season one that you were like, I wish we had more of that character. And maybe you hope that we explore that next season. I mean, 
honestly, even though we got a lot of Margaret, I feel like like Vanessa Kirby's acting is still it it just has so much like richness to it that I feel like there's still so much more that she can do. And like even to the extent of like I feel like we never really got a full Margaret storyline that was just Margaret like dealing yeah. with her life it, it didn't have anything to do with romances and maybe we'll yeah. never get that i don't really know but i think she's really interesting yeah it was frustrating to get so little of margaret in the first half of the season and then get plenty of her in the second half but to have all three of those uh, margaret centric episodes just be about the exact same thing mm-hmm. that yeah that was a bit of a letdown i agree i think margaret is definitely a person that i'm looking forward to seeing more of obviously Prince Charles, who I feel like his situation can only get worse uh, as this is we Charles forge ahead. Dylan Orange. Yeah, like <laughs> I would love to see some more of Charles because I feel like it's always the it's always the childhood that puts the puts the man on the path. Well, the good news about Charles is is that man is in his seventies and he still hasn't worked a day in his life, so <laughs> don't feel too bad for him. I swear, this man. You know, you know who I would have liked to see more of. Uh, and, and this is kind of a, a left field nomination, uh, Martin, because uh, I feel like mm. Martin, you know, he did have that one episode where, you know, he had to uh, contend with getting essentially asked to become the, the queen's private secretary, but having the bureaucracy kind of get in the way of that. Um, and then, you know, you had that funny little storyline about the the tree and like, you know, them sending gardeners and landscapers to trim it uh, at his uh, wife's request um more of like that kind of stuff where you just see people behaving you know like not not like in not like in an evil manner but just like exercising poor judgment um Mm -hmm. uh, around things that involve the crown and where where it's like not actually the royal family themselves but just people that are kind of within their sphere and 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 the the staff and the people that kind of help uh, keep the trains running on time. Like, I do hope we get more of that kind of stuff uh, later on in the series. Mm-hmm. My my dark horse candidate is uh, Lord Mountbatten, who oh, yeah. I feel like in the beginning <laughs> oh, of the yeah. season, they portrayed him as this guy who was just like out for power. And they're like, yeah, they're going to use my last name. And then they were like, no, we're not going to do that. And I just imagine him <laughs> like alone in his castle being like, oh, I've been foiled. <laughs> <laughs> but then he comes back just like a cartoon yeah. villain. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a great call out. I feel like we were set up to like expect a lot more Lord Mountbatten than we ended up getting. Like, yeah, he was very prominent there in the very beginning. And then there were a lot of uh, kind of, you know, power struggles and dynamics around the family name. And then we just never really saw him again. Wow, I actually forgot about him until now. That's a good one. I want to see more corgis. Just, just give me more corgis. More corgis, more pugs. <laughs> yeah. All dogs. More horses? Sure, why not? Let's get some more horses. <laughs> Carlin, did you have a favorite horse in season one? I have a hard time remembering. The one on top. Different. <laughs> I mean, that probably would have been my conclusion because I can't remember what all the horses, like what they all, like what distinguished all the horses. Like, I don't have a favorite corgi either. I don't know. They they all look the same. I'm sure they all have distinct personalities, but yeah, we'll go with Oriole or whatever that horse's name was. <laughs> Wait, I have, a, I have a question. Did we at any point in this entire season see Philip and Elizabeth kiss? I, didn't they have like little sneak little kisses maybe at the wedding? Uh, 
okay. I think before the wedding, right? In like the first five minutes of the show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that, that yeah. yeah, where he like, you know, gets gets his title and then he, you know, sneaks off to say hi to her and they're being very, you know, kind of joyful and flirtatious. Like, was that kind of it as far as like physical intimacy between them? I guess so on screen, yeah, maybe. They like cuddled a few times. A lot of implied blowjobs. Blow yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh no, there were there were there was more than one suggested blowjob. We got the the one in in the recent episode, but then uh, go back to uh, their um. What, what, what was what was it like episode two during the Commonwealth tour before Birdie dies and there there's something about a sloppy one mm-hmm. like that that was a thing right yeah it was a thing their marriage already seems over I don't know I I, I don't believe in them anymore I, I swear I, like yeah. it's kind of amazing when you look at this and then to know that like they are still together like wow y'all y'all really weathered a rough patch who's next to die is it Winston. Oh whoa! Um, um, no, it's got to be Anthony Eden if he's not dead already. <laughs> I think I would go. I would vote Anthony. I think it's no. I think it's Winston. Like Anthony Eden is as a contender, but Winston is just ancient. Yeah, but Winston is off retiring and painting ponds. Anthony Eden is trying to uh, kind of curb the the upcoming Suez Suez uh, Canal crisis while just constantly overdosing on medication. Like, I, I think the Grim Reaper is hovering over Anthony right now. Yeah, otherwise there's not really anyone that's that old or sickly. Like, we already lost the the double Queen Mother Mary. She's already gone. Otherwise, everyone else isn't that old. All right, any any other sort of larger thoughts about season one that we haven't sort of said already? Did anyone have a character arc? Like, I feel like Philip stayed miserable. Margaret? She got more angry. Yeah, I mean, Margaret for sure. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, uh, but again, like it all kind of centered around one storyline. And, you know, obviously yeah. it was a very, um, very decisive, you know, kind of story arc for her life. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this, yeah, this, this is a show about institutions, not characters. I think that was kind of the biggest takeaway from season one. Yeah, which is, which is a shame because like I, I like the soapy stuff. I I like the character arcs, but we we really kind of get them in these scattered snippets, and the, the, I feel like a lot happens in between off screen that we don't get to see. Looking forward to the episode where Queen Elizabeth learns what a meme is. Oh my god! <laughs> I feel like they're probably like shielding her from that. <laughs> you think she she doesn't know that she is a meme? I don't. She'll see a meme does of she herself. even have a phone? <laughs> Did we ever st- I don't <laughs> think she needs to know how to use a smartphone, and therefore just doesn't. The only ninety-something-year-old relatives I ever had, like they could barely use a TV, no computers, <laughs> and and they used it to watch the coronation. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we did it. Uh, we finished season one. Can you believe it? That's, no, it, it's it came so fast. Like it yeah. happened so fast. Hmm. Before we dive into season two, which I think we're all very anxious to do, but we kind of decided that we wanted to take a break between seasons. And in between seasons, we wanted to try and explore some content that also kind of explores this era of the royal family, but perhaps from a different point of view. And that includes next episode in which Ivan, Carlin, and I will be diving into something that we've mentioned, I feel like, on the podcast before the did this win the oscar oscar winning film the king's speech yeah it contra i don't know if 
controversially is the right word, but this won the Oscar over the social network, which I thought was a, you know, much craftier and much more stylish and much more creative film. But, you know, I digress. King's Speech is cool, too. Looking forward to talking about it. Well, Ivan, you are the Winklevoss twins' biggest stan, is, are you not? Oh, yeah. You know, I, they told me to go all in on Bitcoin, and, and now I'm just obscenely wealthy. Not the Dogecoin. <laughs> no, Dogecoin's for suckers. It's all about BTC. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, we're definitely going to take a look into Colin Firth versus Jared Harris. Just get a fine, uh, you know, an official take on that. Is Helena Bonham Carter in that movie, too? Yeah. Yes. Yep. She's the queen mother or like, yeah, the or the the wife of uh, Birdie, who I don't think at that point is the queen or the queen mother yet. But yeah, she's in it and she's great. The King's Speech, I feel like it's been, what is it, 10 years since the King's Speech? Yeah. But I feel like, like it that. still holds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2010. Oh, my God. Whoa. Jeffrey Rush. You're Let's spoiling see. it. <laughs> now they know Jeffrey Rush is in it. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> That's just something that is. Okay. Well, um, anyways, if you're looking for a little bit of reprieve from The Crown... We have you covered because we will be taking a couple weeks away from the crown uh, before diving into season two. <laughs> if you're looking for a reprieve from the crown, here's a special where we talk about all the same characters just a few <laughs> years earlier. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what's happening. So, Ivan, in the last episode, you teased that you would have some big news. I did. What is the big news? And Carlin and I were both like, what, what is this big news? So we, we have been waiting now with bated breath. So have you ever heard about, like, I think this happened with like Breaking Bad. I think it happened with Lost where sometimes the writers will introduce a storyline or tease something in the beginning of the season that they don't know how they're going to pay off yet, but it just builds tension. Like the, you know, final season of season five opens up with Walter White, like flash forward. He's got a machine gun that he's bought. The writers didn't know how that machine gun was going to pay off and and how it would le- like lead into the finale. And they'd kind of written themselves into a box there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, the big announcement is that we are going to be reviewing the King's speech. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so exciting. Yeah, get excited. It'll be great. That's your four-toed statue is the king's speech. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, which, which I think is incidentally how many toes Colin Firth has. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I really wrote myself into a corner there. Okay, but yeah, king's speech. I'm very excited. I haven't seen the movie since it came out, so it'll be good. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so uh, Ivan, is it is it safe to say that you are now off Twitter as well as Facebook? Uh, it is not safe to say, but that is a good idea, and, and we're marching in that direction. <laughs> All right, so don't look for Ivan on Twitter. Carlin, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, Carlin Greenwald, and then Instagram at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right, you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But the ble- uh, the best place to reach us is at the Crown Around Pod Twitter account. So if you have any questions, any you know thoughts on season one, 
maybe recommendations of, of crown related media that we can consume uh, that pertains to this era of the crown, let us know. In the meantime, uh, you can find all of our episodes at our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowning around or on any platform where podcasts are available coming up here on paginated media on Tuesdays, every Tuesday, we have an episode of The Outfit Repeaters where we recap episodes of Lizzie McGuire. And on Thursdays, you know, we're done with The Crown, King's Speech coming up, more content after that, and we'll dive into season two. And I think that's it. Season one in the books. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God save, God the, save queen. the queen. God save the queen.